This message by Bill Kittrell was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Bill serves as a senior pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. Second Samuel chapter 7. If you're here this morning and you don't have a Bible, we want you to be able to follow along. If you'll raise your hand and leave your hand up, our ushers will give you a free copy of the Scriptures so that you can follow along as we seek to learn from 2 Samuel 7. This is God's infallible Word, God's inspired Word, and we want to listen carefully and seek to hear God speak to us today in His Word. That's our prayer so, turn with me, 2 Samuel chapter 7. We're going to begin reading in verse 8. This is a covenant that God is making with David. We'll talk more about that. Nathan the prophet is bringing God's word to David, verse 8, the Lord says to Nathan, Thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over all my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you and I will make for you a great name like the name of the great ones of the earth and I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more and violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. And he shall build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever, and I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men, but my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan the prophet spoke to David. Verse 18, Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? 
And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. And this is instruction for mankind, O Lord God. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God, because of your promise. And according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. And therefore, listen, you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, and there is no God beside you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name, and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt a nation and its gods. And you established for yourself your people Israel to be your people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. And now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, and do as you have spoken. And your name will be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is God over Israel. And the house of your servant David will be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. And therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are true, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant, so that it may continue forever before you, for you O Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. Amen. This is God's holy word. Pray this morning. Let's pray for God to bless the purposes that He has for you, that He has for us. Let's pray for that. As I thought about this text, I... I was reminded, I, I want an easy life. And when my desire for an easy life is hindered by someone, I tend to pounce on them. I want an easy life, but each week I babysit six grandchildren. Because I do love them, and I do want to serve them and my kids, and it's it's never an easy night. I want an easy life, but that's never an easy night. But it's always something we're glad to do. We look forward to it. But one, one night recently was especially not easy. One of the grandsons plugged the potty. And in an effort to unplug it, flushed it several times. 
Then he realized, this isn't working. And he cried out for help and came running out for grandfather, I think just to avoid drowning. Water was pouring out of the potty, onto the bathroom floor, out the door, into parts unknown. You know, there's, there's different kinds of water. There's faucet water, there's bathtub water, there's raw sewage. And remember, I want an easy life. Maybe you're patient when a child plugs the potty and flushes it several times, but it isn't easy. You need to understand you have all kinds of desires, and one of them is a desire for an easy life. You also have to know something about this child. They didn't do this in order to make your life miserable. It was an accident. My grandson isn't like me. I have some knowledge he doesn't have. And, and to be patient, I have to remember, I, I know what happens if you keep flushing the potty. But nevertheless, I found myself somewhat controlled saying, if the potty is plugged, do not flush it several times. Flush one time and come and get me. Do you understand? I'm not sure if my grandson recognized my desire for an easy life. It had been thwarted, and I wasn't being patient with him, but I took him on a very special date the next day, just to be sure. We have a desire for an easy life, and it can become a ruling desire so that we're unkind to people and impatient with people. It's important to know that the good news, the gospel, the promises of God are not for an easy life. There is no promise for your best life now. That's not the good news according to Scripture. It's not for an easy life. The easy life gospel is not the gospel of Scripture. So it begs the question, well, what is the good news then? What is promised to us in God's Word? And 2 Samuel 7 is good news. It's the best news. It's great news. Looking back from the reality of Jesus Christ, we can see the answers to that question in this text. There are promises for us in 2 Samuel 7. If you look in verse 5, the Lord said to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord. That was a formal introduction that a spokesman for a king, someone in authority, or a prophet would use for the words of God. And when they used that introduction, thus says the Lord, they wanted to get it right. They didn't alter it at all. This is God's Word. And 2 Samuel 7 is a key passage in the history of salvation. It's a record of a covenant, an agreement between God and man, between God and King David, who represents 
the nation of Israel as their king, but he also represents you and me, the people of God. These promises are our promises. This is the good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of David, the coming Messiah. So what is the good news? Three points. Number one, no easy life, but you will succeed. Number two, no easy life, but God will be with you. Finally, number three, no easy life, but you will make His name great. Number one, no easy life, but you will succeed. Notice verse 10. Thus says the Lord, I will appoint a place for my people. Verse 11, I will make you, David, a house. Verse 12, I will raise up your offspring. I will establish his kingdom. Verse 16, your throne will be established forever. And then down in David's prayer, he adds this about God's promises, saying this about what he knows. Verse 21, because of your promise and according to your, God's own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. These are God's promises. They express His heart, His purposes for His King, His people. Verse 27, David prays, for you have made this revelation to your servant, verse 17, in accordance with these words and in accordance with all this vision. Samuel says, Nathan spoke to David. This is God's revelation, God's vision. It's not just for David, it's for his people. And it's not for an easy life. Verse 23 says, Who is like your people, Israel, the one nation on earth that you redeem, that God went to redeem. You redeemed them from Egypt. God's promise, God's heart, God's purpose, God's vision for His people, His revelation can be summed up in this word redemption. It explains everything about the meaning of your life. Redemption. Your God, your God, has redeemed you. He has purchased your life. And He has purchased it with a vision, for a purpose. And this is a revelation. Thus says the Lord, here's the vision, here's the purpose. It's not an easy life. It's redemption. It's by His grace and it's for His namesake. He has done a work of redemption already in your life. If you're a Christian, if you've trusted in Christ, if you've believed on Christ and His finished work that we just sang about, that we've talked about, that we've prayed about, that we're looking at this morning, if you trusted in Christ, And His finished work on the cross for forgiveness of your sins. You've been redeemed. He's done a work. That's the good news. That's the gospel. 
And the Apostle Paul says this in Philippians 1, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God has a vision for your life, redemption. He has purchased your life for His purposes. He is at work redeeming you. It's good news. You will succeed. No easy life, but you will succeed. You will fulfill His purposes because He is powerful. He is sovereign. He rules. David said in Psalm 103, The Lord has established His throne in the heavens, and His kingdom rules over all. Another psalmist in Psalm 135, I know that the Lord is great, which is what David is saying in our text, and that our, our Lord is above all, all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, He does. In heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. Jerry Bridges said, said this, Divine sovereignty ought to make a difference in our lives. It ought to give us courage when we encounter adversity of any sort. We prayed for a number of people this morning encountering adversity. It ought to help us to obey Jesus' command, don't be afraid. And even Paul's command to give thanks in all circumstances. It ought to cause us to live our lives and make our plans in all humility, knowing that only if this sovereign Lord wills can we do even the most mundane things of life. Above all, it'll give us the confidence that no plan of God's can be thwarted by either human action or acts of nature, and that therefore God is indeed working out all things in conformity with the purpose of His will for His glory and your good, the good of His people. Sovereignty ought to make a difference in our lives. I hope this morning you'll go home. God is... Is, is speaking confidently. Thus says the Lord, this is the way it's going to be. God has plans for your good and you will succeed. Look in verse 8. I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep. Remember David, the little boy watching the sheep? And the Lord took him from the pasture that you'd be prince. You came to this moment now. You're king. Verse 9, I've been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you so that now you're at this moment where you're king. And I will make for you a great name like the name of the great ones of the earth. Notice the emphasis, I took you from the pasture. I have been with you wherever you went. I will make you a great name. It's the emphasis is not on man. It's not on David. It's not on what a great warrior he is and he was a great warrior. It's not that he's a great poet or a great psalmist or just a good shepherd. The emphasis is on the Lord. This this is why David is where he is. This is why he's being called king, and this is why David is going where he's going, because of God. It's the Lord who called David. It's amazing from the pasture. 
It's the Lord that elevated him to the kingship. It's the Lord that cut off his enemies and will make his name great. Verse 10, I will appoint a place for my people, Israel. Not just you, and I'm going to plant them. And they're going to dwell in their own place. They're not going to be disturbed anymore, and I'm going to give you rest from all your enemies. It's, it's the Lord that is doing all of this. And it's, it's all, you, you, you move down to verse 11, it's almost like a game show. Moreover, there's more. Oh, not, that, not just that curtain. Look over here. Here's another prize if you get this right. The Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. He's not talking about flipping a house He's, or even building a new house. It's the greatest news a king in the ancient Near East could hear. Not only are you going to be king, your son's going to be king. Not only is his son going to be king, and his son after him, it's going to be eternal. Your throne, your royal dynasty, the house of David is going to last forever. See, it all started back in verse 1 and verse 2, when, when David had a palace and he looked over at the, the Ark of the Covenant where God lived, and the Ark was in a tent and David was in a cedar palace. So it all started with David saying, hey, I know what, I'm going to build a house for God. He looked at where he dwelt, where he lived, and where God, so to speak, lived, and he thought that wasn't right. And he talked to Nathan, and Nathan said, verse 3, Go do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. Even the prophet thought it was a great idea. But the Lord spoke to him in verse 5, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I haven't lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I've been moving about in a tent for my dwelling in all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel. Did I speak a word? That's when you build houses for God, is when He speaks a word. Did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Basically, David, no. You're not going to build me. The point here is, we need God, but He does not need us. <laughs> he is going to build the house for David. It's an eternal dynasty. A son of David is going to be king forever. In light of the reality of Jesus Christ, we recognize that this promise is fulfilled in Christ. The good news is this promised king. There's, there's this special relationship, this covenant between David and his descendants and the Lord. And there are blessings, promises for David, for his descendants, and for all the people of God, including you, because he represents God's people. After the day of Pentecost, when Jesus had risen from the dead, He had ascended to the right hand of God, and the Spirit of God was poured out 
as he promised, so that all the people would know the Lord, Peter stood up and tried to explain to people. He began with Psalm 16. He's looking back from the reality of what he's observed, the resurrection of Christ, and he's looking back at Psalm 16, and he understands it's written about Jesus. I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, my tongue rejoiced, my flesh dwells in hope. You won't abandon my soul to Hades. In other words, you won't see corruption in the grave. You'll be raised from the dead. And Peter sees this through the reality of Christ. And this is what he says in Acts 2 as he explains this to everyone listening and observing. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, David was a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and we're all witnesses of it. They preached Christ from this Old Testament. It came alive, and it should come alive for us. If you notice in verse 14, it says, I will be to him a father, and he will be my son. That's the way they spoke about the coming Christ. Jesus is the Son of God. The Lord denies David the privilege of building him a house, but he builds a house for David. Fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He fulfilled His promises to David. And He will fulfill His promises to you. You will succeed. David said it this way, Many are the afflictions of the righteous. No easy life. But the Lord delivers him out of them all. That's Psalm 34. You, you will succeed in becoming conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. How do you think that will affect your marriage? How will that affect your kids? You will fulfill God's purposes. That's what God is doing in your life. You'll experience victory over sins. Sins that would master you otherwise. Thanks be to God who gives you victory over sin, over addictions in Jesus Christ. You'll be filled with joy unspeakable. This is the promise. You will not fail unless God Himself fails. You may remember the late R.C. Sproul, a theologian. He said, if thrown into prison and permitted to have only one verse, it would be Genesis 15, 17, my favorite verse. Here's Genesis 15, 17. When the sun had gone down, and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. That's probably your favorite verse too, right? 
Come again, R.C. He says this, These words set my soul on fire. <laughs> it's the passage I turn to when I'm assaulted by doubt, for it fuels my hope and restores my faith. What? At best, my faith is frail and weak. Since my faith comes to me from hearing and hearing from the Word of God, this is the Word of God that I, I need to hear over and over again. And when I mention my enraptured feelings about this verse, people often look at me as, as if I've lost my senses. I, I would think, can I show you some other verses? Why, they ask, is that verse so important? And he explains the context. It's, it's his covenant with Abraham, his agreement with Abraham. And he's cutting a covenant with Abraham. And so he cut, he did a ritual and cut animals in two. And what's important to understand is the smoking firepot and the flaming torch are visible manifestations of God. God is walking through the cut animals saying this, if I don't keep my promise, may I be cut in two. It can't happen. God could swear on nothing greater than Himself. So when He swore an oath, He swore on Himself. It's a good favorite verse. You will succeed because it's about God and not about you. Number two, no easy life, but God will be with you. This is the good news. No promise of an easy life, but God will be with you. Does that matter? Verse 9, I have been with you wherever you went. Verse 22, David says, You're great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, and there is no God besides you. Verse 23, Who's like your people Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be His people, making Himself a name, and doing for them great and awesome things. They're not great, but He is great, and He is with them. He became their God. What the Lord promises is that He's going to be with His people. I believe that means He is here with us today. It's not that His people are great. It's that His grace is great. It's that His mercy is great. This is the good news. When, when Nathan told David, go do whatever in your heart to build a house, in verse 3, for God, he said, it's because the Lord is with you. So for Nathan, that's what was important about David. David was known, if you remember, we've seen this again and again, he was known as someone that the Lord was with. And Nathan thought, the Lord is with you. He's a prophet. He knows this. The Lord is with you, so if you want to build a house for God, build it. It will go well for you. He knows David's not great. The Lord is great. And the Lord is with David, so David can do great and awesome things. It 
because God is with him. What does, what did, how does David respond to this? Verse 27, Your servant has found courage to pray. And then he prays, bless this house. He plays, prays for a blessing. Do you remember in the Ark of the Covenant, Mike talked about this last week, where Uzzah reached out and touched it and died? The Ark was where God was present, and they were hauling it on a cart, and it, the, the ox stumbled, and he reached out, and, and God killed Uzzah. And so David said, you know, let's leave the Ark at this guy's house. Obed-Edom the Gittite, we'll leave it with you. Because he didn't want to be killed. He had a desire for an easy life, but he also had a desire for life. So he left it with Obed-Edom the Gittite. Well, lo and behold, he started prospering because the Lord blessed him. Because when the Lord is present, you get blessed. And so David went and got the ark and very carefully brought it to Jerusalem. Why? Because he wanted the blessings. And you, if you look at this prayer that David prays, beginning in verse 18, eight times he says, Oh Lord God, it's an expression of his fellowship with God, his communion with God. The Lord was with David. So he had courage to pray. David knew the Lord, and his response was, was to pray. And he prayed for blessings. And when the Lord is with people, they get blessed. This is the great treasure of the kingdom. Kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, like treasure hidden in a field which a man found covered up, and then in his joy, he goes and sells everything to get that treasure. What is that treasure? It's communion with God. It's fellowship with God. It's God being with you. It's having the courage to pray. That's the great treasure of the kingdom. It's the surpassing value of knowing Christ. It's no small thing. If you think it is, you, you probably think of God as like an old kind grandfather. And it just reveals you, you lack knowledge of who this is. It's an incredible blessing to have God with you. <laughs> Sherry and I have a picture on our refrigerator of her standing at our first house. It was a trailer on our farm that my parents let us live in for a couple years. We were... This picture was taken shortly after we were married. It was 38 years ago. We were 20 years old. We'd moved from West Virginia down to Tennessee. All our belongings fit in a 1973 Volkswagen Beetle, including a Beagle puppy, Strawberry Freckle Flakes, named, named after Sherry to honor her. It's a great honor. <laughs> Yesterday, Jake met with women in our church, older, more mature Christian women who he is equipping to be discipling younger women. Last week, he met with men who are being equipped to encourage 
younger men, that the main things we older folks can do for you is to tell you God is faithful. We have pictures on our fridge. We look at those pictures. It hasn't been an easy life. But the Lord has been faithful to His promises. We can promise you life will not be easy. But we can promise you, you will succeed and God will be with you and He will bless you as only He can. And you can have courage to pray. Pray for His blessings. Communion with God is the reason we were created. We were created for the glory of God and glorifying God is something we do when we have fellowship with Him. He blesses us and we have joy. And then we can tell the world, He is great and there is no one like Him. Finally, the good news is not an easy life, but you will make His name great. You will make it. That's what David is doing in these verses. Verses 18 through 29. It's a prayer of thanksgiving. We get the joy. We get the blessings. He gets the glory. Prayer brings glory to God. David is, oh, I just love more and more this man. I'm, I hope you are benefiting from this study. Verse 18. Who who am I, O oh Lord God? Does that remind you of our leaders? <laughs> what is my house? He's thankful. He isn't great. He's not pounding his chest, taking a selfie. You are great, O oh Lord God. Verse 22. There's none like you. There's no God besides you. He's grateful for God's great blessings. He's praising God. He's giving Him thanks. This is the way it works. Verse 12 says, God says, Thus says the Lord, I will raise up your offspring after you. I'll establish your kingdom. Verse 13, He'll build a house for My name. For My name. It's the glory of God going public. It's a reference to God's reputation, His fame, His renown. We might say, hey, that guy made a name for himself. We might say that's a name brand. We mean it has a great reputation. In 1 Samuel 12, says the Lord will not forsake His people for His great name's sake. Redemption is for His glory. The glory of His grace. Verse 23, Who is like your people, Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be His people, making Himself a name, doing for them great 
and awesome things, making Himself a name. What sets Israel apart from all the other peoples is that God is great and He has dealt with them in such a way to reveal how great He is. There's no other people on earth like God's people. He has chosen them. He has elected them. Not by anything, not because of anything in them, but because of His mercy and His grace. He elected them to be His people. Oh, what an honor. Glory to His holy name. God's people don't want to talk about themselves. They want to talk about Him. I have an idea. See what you think about this. What if Thursday, this coming Thursday, we set it aside as just a day of thanksgiving? <laughs> Let's just set it aside. Let's... let's Invite our families over, some friends. Let's make a big meal with all the bounty God's blessed us with. And let's just have a day set aside for Thanksgiving. How about that? Let's magnify His name. Verse 22. Here's a verse. You can... Memorize after you do Genesis 15, 17. You are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you. What a great verse for our families this Thursday. And by the way, if you don't have a place to go for Thanksgiving, you go to the Welcome Center. There are people in this church that would be eager to have you over. Verse 23, who's like your people? You're making a name for yourself. You, verse 24, you establish for yourself your people that your name might be magnified. You are God. Verse 28, your words are true. You promised these good things. You've done these good things. I have courage to come and pray for blessings. And I want to give you thanks. David knew he was doing better than he deserved. It's a genuine, you can just... Feel David's genuine love for God. This is a man that knows he's not great. You know, I occasionally call my daughter-in-laws on my wife's phone. The response is striking. I get this cheerful hello and greeting that I don't get when I call from my phone. <laughs> oh, so this, this is Sherry's response. <laughs> I got really bad news for you. This is not Sherry. I'm kidding my daughter-in-laws. A little bit. There is a difference. <laughs> These ladies are excited about Sherry, not so much about me. And they should be. Amen. Yes. That's what everybody in the room, including Curtis, is thinking this morning. My, my point is, is that 
David's relationship with the Lord is being expressed in this prayer. And I want to emulate it. We should emulate it. Our, our culture is man-centered. There is a propensity for self-glorification that is shocking. <laughs> and this is a very striking thing. This is, this is striking. That, that David wants to give glory to God, and he should. It's our purpose. It's why we're created. We are God's people. We have a mission. Magnify His holy name. <laughs> it's a great gig. He is great. We are not great. He has a purpose. To make His people great. No easy life, but for them to succeed in His plan of redemption for their good and His glory. That is the good news. So let's pray. Let's pray for God to bless the purposes that He has for us, for you. Let's pray for that. And let's, let's give Him glory. The Lord won't disappoint you. One day you're not going to wake up and say, wow, I, I really missed out choosing to trust the Lord. That's not going to happen. You're never going to have that happen. You're not going to wake up when you're 58 and say, man, that was a mistake. I lived my life based on the promises of God and it was a mistake. You know what's going to happen? You're going to put a picture on your refrigerator and you're going to recount how good and faithful God has been in your life. For His glory. Father, thank You. It is a joy this morning to end with singing Your glory, singing Your praises, Father, honoring You, and rejoicing in all that You have done. We have the great treasure of the kingdom. We have fellowship with You, Lord, in Christ. And we thank You for these promises, Lord. And I pray for each and every person in this room, Lord, I pray today that even as we turn our attention to You and sing that You are great and there is none like You, Lord, I pray that You would fill them with Your Spirit and they would experience true and lasting joy for Your glory. In Jesus' name, Amen. You've been listening to a message given by Bill Kittrell during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.